exactly. <laughs> All right, Father, I just thank you for your kindness to us, Lord. <clears throat> I pray that you would touch my heart today with your word. I pray that you'd take the sword of the Spirit and divide between the soul and the Spirit and draw us close, God. Show us where we need to change. So show us where you have designs for us that we have not imagined or sought. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by you just talking with each other for just a moment. Just have a, about a two-minute conversation, and I'd like you to answer the question for one another. Real simple question, what is life? So just face another person and discuss that. What is life? Give your opinion, your idea, your understanding. I would say it's an important question because in the Garden of Eden, and I think, I think I could start every talk I give with the two trees in the Garden of Eden because everything goes back to them. And the name of one tree was the tree of life. Now, if we don't know what that is, how are we going to eat it? How are we going to eat it if we don't know what life is? How are we going to seek it? if we don't know what we're looking for. Uh, and I had to give a sermon one time. By the way, the other tree is not the tree of death, what you'd expect. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How does that fit with the tree of life? How is that the opposite of the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Didn't God tell us we should know good from evil? And hopefully we'll answer that. But um, when I was in seminary, had the, the terrifying experience of preaching before other preachers. Now, most of you will say, good sermon, Gary. You know, I have very, very few times you come and say, boy, that was terrible. You know, your illustrations were off the mark, and, and I couldn't follow you, and you had seven points instead of three. You, you people don't do that to me. But you know what? In seminary class, the professor and the other, so it was a little intimidating. And... Uh, and I started thinking, the thought of my mind was, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? Everybody's going to live forever, which should terrify most people. You can't die. There's no such thing as annihilation. You're made an eternal soul in the image of God with a free will. So what is eternal life? And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I came up with this thought. It has to be knowing God. 
And I'd never seen the scripture before, but John 17, 3 says exactly that. Zach, do you have that one? Maybe not. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and your son, Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is, is knowing God. You know, if we seek anything else but having our personality mingled with another personality and the personality of God, if the goal of our life is anything other than knowing God and knowing each other, we will, in the end, be most disappointed because we'll not have found life. Life and love are almost identical synonymous words. So how do we, how do we grow? How do we know? You know, the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, um, the tabernacle had uh, a way to God. Now, we all know that God is omnipresent. If I go to hell, you are there. If I go here, you are there, Psalm 139. I can't get away from you, God. You are everywhere. You are omnipresent. And we all experience that somewhat. Uh, Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. You can't get away from God, the presence of God. But there's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifold presence of God. The manifest, excuse me, the manifest presence of God. And um, in the tabernacle, it's the way to know God. And first of all, you come to a, an altar where you need a sacrifice, where you acknowledge your need. It's called repentance. And God recently has, oh, man, where this word comes from is he has put his hand on me. And I've, I've felt a heaviness where I woke up. Some of you would call it depression. I, I just call it the heavy hand of God. I wasn't depressed. I just felt my sins, particularly not things that I was present currently doing, but things in the past and not things that I had done in the past, but things I had not done in the past that could have protected, that could have changed some things for people. And I was just, whoa, and I had to go to talk to some people. It wasn't easy. But God was bringing me through another, another round of repentance. I don't like it. But it's good. Because if we don't go to that altar of, uh, of sacrifice, we're not going to get to God. And we, we need to keep doing that. We need to live a life of repentance, acknowledgement of who we are and who we're not. And then you wash. You get baptized, whatever symbolic understanding you might have of that. But you get clean of your sin. And then you can come into the holy place where there's, in the tabernacle, then you go into the building or in, into the tent. And there inside the tent is the, the light of God. You start seeing things more clearly. And the bread is over on the right-hand side. And you start feeding on, on Christ. And you start reading the word of God and start understanding in a deeper way. And you feel yourself not just seeing but, but actually changing on the inside. And then there's the, right before there's a great curtain, there is a, uh, an altar of incense. And that altar of incense represents our prayer life and our, our, both our emotional life and our prayer life before God that we, we come before him. But you know what? We're not in the presence of God yet. 
it's all good. We can see. Our eyes are opened. But there's something more that God has. And very few people go in. The high priest could go once a year because the presence of God, he's a burning fire. There's a couple things God can't do. The one I know he can't do is he can't change who he is. He cannot change who he is. And he is a consuming fire. And if you're made out of paper, wood, straw, and you come in the presence of God, you burn up. If your works come before God and they're made on your own efforts, they'll burn up. God can't help it. He is a consuming fire. And so he wants to make us into flaming holy people so that we could stand before him and get the rewards from him that he wants. I was at the game yesterday, the Gophers game, and I was with one of the pom-pom girls from way back, 76 years old, and she... And, and she's got a very successful business. And I started, I think I started witnessing to her. And the first thing she said was, oh, I'm a good. And then she named the church that she went to. And I am working for my salvation. And I'm working very hard for it. I'm going to send her an email. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. By grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works but you can't get there without the works because if you change, you'll do the works, but that's not how you get there. So I'm going to risk it and send that email to her. What is eternal life? Knowing God. The high priest could go into that manifest presence of God with a sacrifice, with blood, once a year. Bells on his uh, priestly garment and a rope around his anchor, ankle. And he, I don't know how he got in there because there was no door. I don't know if he went under it or went around. But he went in through this thick, thick curtain, six inches thick, they said it was. And there was the Ark of the Covenant of God. And to put blood on it to cover the sins of Israel for another year. And if he did something wrong, the other priests had a hold of that rope that if they didn't hear things ringing, they would yank him out of there because he'd be dead and they couldn't go in and get his body or they'd die too. The holiness of God is something that we don't think about or talk about much. But God's holiness has not changed. He's still that holy. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross and his blood was shed, the Lamb of God, that, and this was one thing I, I saw early in my Christian life and I thought, that the word of God is so awesome. It says that that, in Mark, it says that that curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom. God says, okay, come on in. I have made you holy through the blood of Jesus Christ. But you know what? A lot of times we don't go in. It's wide open for us. Did you know the Methodist church was started by uh, two Wesley brothers, John and Charles. They started something in England called Holy Clubs that were so rigorous. I mean, they said, have you looked at a woman wrong? Have you done this? Have you done that? And, and then when they get done, they said, have you told the whole truth? I mean, they were ruthless in these clubs because they believed in the holiness of God. They preached sermons around England, but then they went to America with some people who, Moravians, they met some Moravians, people who prayed 24 hours a day. And they realized they didn't know God. 
Can you imagine? They said we weren't converted yet. We weren't saved yet. So many people know the Bible, but they don't know God. The Pharisees all knew the Bible, but they didn't know God. And sometimes we come into a fellowship where we talk about God and, and we read the Bible, but we don't come to know him. And then once we don't come to know him, we don't push on to know him. We don't go deeper. I'm reading a book that so challenged me. I didn't, I, I, I found out I read it before because it was filled with underlines and, and yellow marks and everything like that. So I had to have read it before, but I didn't remember any of it. It's by, by Tozier, a, a pastor in South, <clears throat> uh, South Chicago, Southside Chicago, which is, a, if you've ever been there, I've, I went there a little bit uh, as I was seeking the ministry that God had for me. And it's a tough, tough, tough place. And this pastor wasn't up in an ivory tower <clears throat> where he could just contemplate about God all day long. He was in a very busy, noisy area, but he found God. And he, without, uh, he didn't go to high school, he didn't finish high school, and he had no college education, but he became one of the major spokesmen of the, of the last century for the Christian faith and how to get close to God. And when I started reading this, I thought, oh my goodness, this guy knew how to say things. Though the worshiper had enjoyed so much, still he had not yet entered the presence of God. Ransom men need no longer pause to fear to enter the holy holies. God wills that we should push on into his presence and live our whole life there. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push in to conscious awareness of his presence. You know, I, as I read this and I saw how he walked and lived, I just, I just felt, God, I, I need to know you. I'm born again, I know that, and I'm conscious of God being around me. I can't get him off my mind. But I, as I thought about it, I thought, I, can only, I only know one person, and I don't know all of you well enough, and this doesn't mean what I'm gonna say is true, but I could only think of one person that was living a life like I saw him describe. That, that is the norm that God is calling us to. I only could think of one person. And <laughs> it was interesting. I saw that person, I tried to go to several coffee clubs in our town because I just feel God wants me to infiltrate. I don't fit in any of them. They're all politically different than I am. They're all religiously different than I am. And I'm just sitting there, man, I, I feel like a healed thumb on a sore hand. <laughs> Anyways, I'm different. But uh, so I was at one of my coffee clubs and, and uh, she came and sat down next to me, this person that I thought really had this, this one life. And, and I, th I thought I ought to tell her that I see Christ in her like that and I see her living that kind of life. But you know what she wrote me back? She said, thanks for chatting with me this morning. I was really humbled and sobered by your thinking of me as you read Tozer. It really made me repent for not spending the kind of time with him lately that he deserves. I have felt his tug to get alone with him but have been managing my time very poorly. Thanks for the unknowing reproof. <laughs> We all need to draw close. How do we do it? Well, it's another person that didn't know God, but he was living right. Little Samuel, six years old, living in the temple. I don't know if that, that boy never sassed his mama. He never did it. You know, he's living in the temple. But it says when God called Samuel, Samuel, the Bible says in 1 Samuel that Samuel did not yet the Lord. 
Oh, we can know so much without knowing him. But that's what life is. It's having a personality mingle with God, having his heart. When I, when I look at, I, I witness regularly, but a lot of times I don't care. I just am about the people. I'm doing it because, you know. But yesterday at the University of Minnesota, I was walking around. I thought, oh, God, these people are so lost. Give me your heart for them. And I still don't have it. But I want to have God's heart. I want to know him and feel what he's feeling for people. Go on to know the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. You have that one? See if you got that one. Jeremiah. This is so good. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You know, what gives us confidence in life? It says glory in this. I don't, what does it mean to glory? That's, that's one of those big words that we think we know what it means. But if we stop and say, explain that to somebody, we have a hard time. But it's like when the twins win the pennant or, or when the Gophers won yesterday. I mean, people were, they were so excited. I thought, it's a football game, you know. I know the Lord! I'm making $125,000 a year. Oh, it feels so good. Oh, honey, I've got a raise. Yes! Big deal. I know the Lord. Do we, do we really glory in knowing the Lord? Is that, is that our prize? Is that the greatest thing? Or do we get depressed when other things don't go good, don't go right? Does that just knock us out of the saddle? Now I know the Lord. You know, there's a way of knowing the Lord. Matthew, would you share with us? Would you give Matthew, where's Matt? We had a men's retreat. And Matt shared something with us. How to know the Lord. Well, um, <clears throat> wait up, put hold of the pie. Yeah, so that journey began the beginning of 2017, and I asked God, what do you have for me this year? And I felt like he said, I'm going to teach you about joy. Okay. Um, a few months later, we found out we're pregnant with our third child well, this is going to be easy. <laughs> That's what I thought. Um, so fast forward now to um, October 5th, 2017. Um, <clears throat> we went into the hospital um, uh, for our son to be born uh, and there was no indication of any issues, but um, he was born not breathing. Um, and that led me on a journey of 
God moved. I'm going to steal a line from Dan Crawl. <laughs> uh, but he moved this knowledge from my head to my heart. And I know that 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 he loves me. And, and that he is my joy. And there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. You know, how did, how did he get to know God? I don't like the methods of God. I like his goals. Job was a righteous man. He knew all about God, and he had good behavior. I often tell people, I'm not ashamed of my behavior. I'm not. It's pretty good. Stella? Can you give it? <laughs> You want to step in the other room for just a little bit? <laughs> Job's behavior was good. And God just watched him suffer. Oh, God, what question do we have about God that we wish we could have the answer for and give to other people in the world? The one apologetic question that everybody, Buddhists, Confucius, I don't care what religion you are, atheist, you ask the same question. Why, why do good people suffer? That's the, the question of the earth. And Job answers it. There's a spiritual warfare going on about the goodness of God. There's a challenge to his goodness. And he's looking for people that believe him no matter what. And stand up before the, God, the devil, and other people and say God is good. Job uh, suffered incredibly and God kept his mouth shut but towards the end he started saying who he was to Job Job you ever considered this I made those whales pretty cool huh did you know how to do that because Job was defending himself like good things should be happening because I'm I'm living right I'm doing the right things I'm a good person In the end, Job repented. Of what? Of thinking he was good enough for the goodness of God or something like that. You may get a little different answer, but you won't get a different answer to what happened. Through his suffering, he got two things. And this is a plea that we do not waste our sufferings. Number one, he got all of his stuff back. He got rewards. And we all are facing rewards, time, and eternity. But this was the real thing. He said, I have heard about you with the hearing of my ears, but now I see you. He came to know God instead of knowing about God. Suffering will do that if you face your suffering with the Lord like Matthew was doing in his wife. There's another way of knowing God. You know, the priests, when, when everything was divided, <clears throat> Joshua is, through God, uh, God through Joshua is handing out the land. You know, you're going to get this, you're going to get this, you're going to get this. And here are the priests, you know, the ones closest to God. They're serving him regularly and in the temples. Where's ours, God? He said, you don't get anything. 
You know what he said? You get me. We're supposed to be a kingdom of priests, people. Our possession is supposed to be the Lord. I'll tell you, one way to know the Lord is to think you don't own anything. It's mine. That's mine. I got cheated. That's mine. My car broke down coming home from the men's retreat. A little leak. Car started to heat up. Well, I'll fill it up. I put in gallons and gallons and gallons. I made it as far as Burnsville on my way to Northfield. Pulled into a gas station of people I don't know. They're going to rip me off, but I had to leave my car there. I had someone pick me up about 8 o'clock at night. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gilbertson. That thing is really hard to get to. It's going to cost $700 just to get to look at what the problem is. It could run up to uh, $1,100, but I, I think I could fix it. This is a hose that went bad. I fixed a bunch of those things. But the car I've got is a little different. I, had, I was challenged again. Whose money is it and whose car is it, right? So when I went to pick up my car, I was going to challenge him on the price. God says, don't you dare do that. I started witnessing to him instead. Young man, he said, you know, I'd like to talk to you. Come, come on out here. He took me out, out of the room where, where there were other customers. He said, now go ahead. And he started engaging me about Jesus. You know, maybe that soul cost me 875 bucks. I don't know. But it'd be well worth it. You know, if we don't get knocked off our horse by the things that happen. And it's, it's happened to everybody here. You've all got sorrows. You've all got problems. And, and you've all got financial needs and all that kind of stuff. But if you don't count yourself as owning anything, David said in Psalm 16, I'm not going to read a lot of the scriptures. We're a little bit short here. But David said, my lot. David knew what a priest was all about. He said, my lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. If you put Psalm 16 up there, it'd be great. My, my lines, my boundaries, what I've, this is mine. It was Jesus. He said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you have it up there? Yeah. It's fallen in pleasant places. Oh, is God our possession? Is he our possession? That's one way. It's through suffering. It's through giving up all claims. Uh, and it's also giving up all claims to righteousness. What did Paul say? You know, we are familiar with the phrase, I've given up all things that I might know him in Philippians. But we don't see what he gave up. He gave up being a Pharisee, which was a good thing in his mind, and, and coming from the right family stock. And that was a good thing. And he was persecuting Christians, which was the zealous part of being a godly person at that point. He gave up his right to call himself righteous for one thing that he wanted more than to look righteous or to call himself righteous because they're opposites. He said that I might know him. And one other thing, the fellowship of his sufferings. The two trees in the garden, 
tree of life. We just took communion. That's the tree of life. It's taking God into you. It's your goodness, your, your sustenance. It comes from God. It's seeing God as my source of everything. That's what the tree of life is. That's what life is. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the opposite. I want to know what's good and what's right and whatever so that I can do the right and good and be a good, nice person. Self-righteousness. They didn't want to know good from evil so that they could do evil. They wanted to know it so they could do good and call themselves good and take credit for it. Paul says, I'm going to give up all the credit for being a good man. Everything I think I could do that's good, I'm going to get the tree of life. I'm going to give up all that that I can know him because that's life. To the measure we are self-righteous, we are very miserable. A little misery, a little self-righteousness, whatever it is. That's where it comes from, self-righteousness. That's the mother of all sin. It's amazing some of the scriptures that are very difficult to read and understand. Here's one that should terrify us as charismatics. Lord, haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done healing in your name? Haven't we done mighty works, seen miracles? Now, this isn't just people watching them. This is people doing them. This, this uh, young lady that I said was an example of me of somebody who knew the Lord. She came to me a couple years before this, and she said, Gary, I had a terrifying dream. She said, I went to heaven. I was so excited to go into heaven because I knew I'd see Jesus. She said, I went to heaven, and I knocked on the door. I said, Jesus, this is her dream. Jesus, I'm going to use another name. This is Marsha. It's Marsha. Jesus. The little window on the door opened. Jesus looked at me through that little space. He looked me in the eye and said, I don't know you, and he closed the door. Now, some of you might think that was a demonic dream. I don't think it was. And I don't think it was that she wasn't born again. I think it was a severe warning from God. to know him in a way that she didn't. And that's the woman that I said, she's an example of somebody who knows the Lord, but still needs to know, know him better. We are so satisfied. We're so easily satisfied with being born again. Hosea went through horrible thing. He was told to marry a prostitute. My seminary tried to talk around that, you know, like, well, God wouldn't tell anybody that, da 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 He was told to marry a prostitute, knowing she was an immoral woman and it was a pretty chancy thing. So he did it, and they had a baby. Oh, good. Oh, honey, it's wonderful. We're going to have a nice family. Next child, that doesn't look like me. Next child, that's not mine. Then she's gone, prostituting. Then she's on 
the slave thing. Men were done with her. Buy her back. Oh, God. Hosea, how many times are you going to break his heart, God? It was enough that she left. Now he's got to marry her again? What are you doing? I'm putting my heart in Hosea. Is he putting his heart in you? I'm putting my heart in Hosea that he can glorify me by telling others what I go through. God's ruthless in bringing us to the great treasures that he has. He's absolutely ruthless in bringing us to the treasures that only he can give to us. Recently I had someone read that. I didn't remember that they just experienced that person they, they were in love with was unfaithful. And he started weeping as soon as he read it. I, I had forgotten that he'd just gone through that kind of a trial. But it's Hosea that says this. And I'm going to close with this. Do you have the Hosea passage? Would you read that? Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains, the water, the earth. Let us pursue the Lord. You know, God pursues us. But having pursued us and caught us, he wants us to pursue him. We can't be passive. And one final thing. I, I said that was the last thing I was going to mention. But in, in uh, two passages that are very familiar and very similar. One is Isaiah 6. And it's where, where Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And the first thing, once he saw the holiness of God, he said, now this man was living right, believe me. Hosea, I think he was living a pretty cool life. But he said, when I saw the Lord, I cried out, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips amidst a people of unclean lips. And then the Lord took a coal, purified him. He said, you're clean now. Whom can I send? And Isaiah writes, said, send me, God. When we've been touched by God, we'll be evangelists. We will be. You won't be able to help it. Send me, God. You know, Peter, and a, a corollary scripture in the New Testament, Peter, Peter's fishing away, and Jesus on the, uh, put the nets out on the other side. He said, we've been, we've been fishing all night. Put the nets out on the other side. Pulls in the net. And Peter, Peter comes before Jesus and said, get away from me. I'm an unclean man. When he saw the holy glory of Jesus, who he was, he felt unclean all of a sudden. And Jesus just said to him, you follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. And he dropped everything. When we see the holiness of God and the goodness of God and our own sins all in the same thing, and God cleanses us, and we know that depth and the depth 
of our hearts and we let him show us our sin, we're going to be evangelists. He became a fisher of men after that. May that be true for me and for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.